If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can certainly use the overheads. And in this passage today, we're going to read a powerful story from the master storyteller himself, Jesus Christ. For those of you who don't know, Jesus frequently spoke in parables to illustrate spiritual realities. And that's what parables are. They're earthly stories to illustrate spiritual realities. And in this particular parable, Jesus encourages his disciples and us to earnestly pray and not to lose heart. He does it by comparison and contrast. If the reluctant action of an unjust judge hears the pleas of a persistent widow, how much more will a just and loving father hear the cries of his children? Luke 18, beginning at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps coming... And bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this beautiful text tonight, this beautiful parable that teaches us to pray and not to lose heart. God, we're in a world today that we can easily lose heart. All the things that are going on, not only in the world, but in our own personal lives. Teach us through this text to pray and pray persistently and never to lose heart. In Christ's name, amen. In the 1800s, George Mueller, he was the founder of a great orphanage work in England, he began to pray for a group of five personal friends. After five years, one of them came to Christ. In ten years, two more of them found peace in the same Savior. He prayed on for 25 years, and the fourth man was saved. For the fifth, he prayed until the time of his death. And this friend, too, came to Christ a few months afterwards. For this latter friend, Mr. Mueller had prayed almost 52 years. What persistence. And we too need to pray and not give up like George Mueller. He prayed 52 years and the very last person he prayed for finally came to Christ and it was after his death. For most people today, this is what prayer is defined as. I pray when needed. However, in our story tonight, we see something much different than pray when needed. Jesus is telling us to pray persistently and never give up, never lose heart. And let me ask you this question. When Jesus Christ returns, will we be characterized as a people of faith who pray and pray persistently and never give up? And let's look at the parable 
Then we're going to look at its interpretation and its application. But first let me give you a quick overview of each section. In the parable itself, we'll talk about the judge, the characters in the parable, the judge, the widow, and the judge's surrender. In the interpretation, we're going to talk about three characteristics of God that will encourage us to pray and not to give up and to understand that God does hear and answer prayers. We'll look at his justice, his love and concern, and his wisdom and timely plan. And finally, in the application, we're going to talk about individual prayer and corporate prayer. First, the parable. Now, this story we just read has two leading characters, and it's pretty obvious. A man who was a judge and a woman who was a widow. Verse 2 and 3 says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So we have a judge, excuse me, and a widow. The first character is a judge who did not fear God or respect man. Jesus, in verse 6, profiles profiles him and calls him an unrighteous judge or an unjust judge, meaning he was corrupt and dishonest. Unjust judges and widows were very familiar in ancient Israel and the ancient Middle Eastern cultures. And the judge in this, this story is as wicked as a person can get. He was not a Jewish judge, but he was a paid magistrate, appointed either by Herod or by the Romans. These judges were notorious. Unless a man had influence and money to bribe the judge, he probably would never have his case settled. William Barclay says that these judges would actually pervert justice for a dish of meat. The judge lacked two qualities, which are essential for true justice. He did not fear God, nor respected man. In other words, he had no interest in the first commandment, loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. No interest in the second commandment, loving his neighbor as himself. He was the most wicked. There was nothing moral in this judge. And the people knew he was wicked. And the worst part is, he was comfortable with it. For in verse 4 he says, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. He was the worst possible human being in position of authority that would have tragic implications to anyone who stands before him in a court of law. Also, this judge was not part of a community court with elders where there was a responsibility of, responsibility of interpreting religious things, but he was part of a civil court, and those courts were in many locations in Israel at that time. Nonetheless, there was a serious responsibility to uphold the law of God, even in the civil court. Any judge in Israel would have been familiar with the Second Chronicles when Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, employed the judges for Judah and established a standard for them. Second Chronicles 19 verses 6 and 7 says, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord, our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. And that was the standard back then. And this judge did not follow that standard. He was ungracious. He was unloving. He was unmerciful. He was ungodly. He was not the kind of judge that you or I would want to decide our legal case. That's the first character. Second character of the story is a widow. This widow wanted justice. And she would not stop going before this unjust judge until she got it. 
As a matter of fact, the parable, some of you may know it as the parable of the persistent widow. Widows in ancient Israel were mistreated back then. As a matter of fact, there were Old Testament laws, protective laws, which indicate that hardships was the widow's destiny. God himself defends the widow in Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, and curses the man who would withholds justice from her, Deuteronomy 27, 19. And there are many other places in the Old Testament that speak about caring for widows. The New Testament also speaks about caring for widows, which is still binding today. James 1, 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Nevertheless, Widows were mistreated. Many times they were alone, they were destitute, they were powerless, they were helpless, they were deprived, they were unloved, they were uncared for. They were desperate, to say the least. Another important thing to note is the courts belonged exclusively to men in ancient Israel. The only time a woman went to court when there was no man to plead her case. And this widow apparently had no man in her life. She didn't have a brother-in-law, a husband, a cousin, no one. No man to plead her case. No one to defend her, no one to represent her. She was alone. There was only one thing that she had going for her, and that was her persistence. And that she did very well. She was alone. And verse 3 says, she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. She had no other recourse but to take her case to the judge day after day with the same plea. Give me adversary against my, uh, give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. The phrase give me justice is a legal term and means take up my case. Help me to justice. She was desperate. It is possible that she had been defrauded and property or money had been taken from her, which in a widow's case would be detrimental to her. And in spite of the judge's reputation, she would keep coming to him day after day with the same request. Now in the Middle East, women were powerless in a male-dominated culture. And this is still largely true today. However, while they had no power, they were to be respected and honored. They could get away with... Things that men could not get away with. One Middle Eastern scholar says, a woman could scream and complain at the top of a voice and get away with it because women are to be honored and respected. And if a man did the same thing, he would lose his life. Now, woman, don't get any ideas here. I read that even today, you can see pictures in the Arabic world of a woman who are pleading the case by screaming and yelling. And this is the picture of what's going on here. This widow is pleading her case relentlessly. And true to the judge's character, he refuses her. Consistently refuses her. He will not give her justice even to this lowly widow. Every day she would come and plead her case and he would say, next case please. Finally, the woman, the widow's relentless pleading for justice day after day began to wear him down. And he surrendered. He says in verse 4 and verse 5, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The woman's tenacity eventually got on the judge's nerves. It got to him. Dr. Philip Riken gives an appropriate illustration. He says, 
Sometimes we can ask for something long enough and we'll get it, even if people really don't want to give it to us, what we're asking for. They realize it will cost them more not to give what we're asking for than if they just give in. And children know exactly how this works. At an early age, they master this. When they want something and the parents say no, they keep whining and pestering until the parents finally give in. And this is precisely what happened in this parable. She wore him down. Even though he neither feared God nor respected man, yet because of a continual, sometimes translated in the Greek forever, yet because of her forever coming to, to me, I will give her justice. Because if I don't, she will beat me down. The phrase in the Greek, hupopiazo, is a boxing term, beat me down, and means to strike on the face or hit under the eye. And Paul uses this term in 1 Corinthians 9.27, where he says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. I beat my body with fierce blows to keep it in submission. In other words, this judge is feeling like he's punch drunk. He's being punched into silliness. She's hurting me. I'm in pain. The widow went 12 rounds in this boxing match and she gave him the final blow of persistence and knocked him out. He surrendered. This weak widow, through her tenacity, defeated him. He gave her justice. That's the parable. Now let's look at the interpretation. Now the, the key to unlock any parable usually comes at the end of the story, but this time the key is in the door at the beginning very beginning of the parable, and all we have to do is open it. In other words, before Jesus tells the story, he tells the reason for the story. Verse 1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray, um, always to pray, and not to lose heart. And this is the key. He's telling them this parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and never lose heart. And if I could summarize the one simple, practical point of this parable, it's this. This is about contrast. God is not like the unjust judge, which should encourage us to always pray and never give up. By the verse, by the way, verse 1 says, he told them a parable. Who is them? We need to know who them is, exactly who Jesus is speaking to. Well, right before Jesus told the parable, he was instructing his disciples about his second coming. And that is found in chapter 17, the previous chapter, verse 22 to 37. And verse 22 says, and he said to his disciples, he was speaking to his disciples. And for the next 15 verses, he was speaking to them about his return. And when you get to chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus is continuing speaking to the same audience, his disciples. That's who he was speaking to, his disciples, his followers, those who belong to him. But let's go back to the previous chapter so we can understand the content of this parable. And let's read chapter 17, verses 22 through 37. And he said to his disciples, and that's who he was talking to, his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of those days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. 
But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods um, in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And then they said to him, where, Lord? And he said, where the corpse is, there the the vultures will gather. So Jesus came into the world the first time to save sinners. He died and rose again. However, he is coming back at the end of the world very suddenly and with eternal judgment for anyone who doesn't belong to him. And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that he was coming back, but there was a waiting period. And in our eyes, it's a long waiting period. And we're still in that waiting period between the two comings of Christ, which the scholars call the already and not yet. And Brian has been touching upon that the last few weeks. And he's going to continue that next week. And what he's telling them is in the time between the first and second coming, they need to be people of faith to always pray and not lose heart. So the Lord tells this parable about the widow, widow who received the justice through her persistence. Now the Lord is going to explain the story in the context of his return. Jesus is going to give the spiritual significance of the earthly story he just told. In verses 6 to 8, Jesus says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, give, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice, give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And verse 8 is clearly a reference to his return. And we should probably look at verse 8 at the conclusion of Luke chapter 17, verses 22 to 37, since he was talking about his return. In other words, Jesus talks about his return, chapter 17, then tells them a parable about praying and not losing heart while they wait for his return in chapter 18, and then concludes with a final question. Is he going to find faith on earth at his return? However, before Jesus' concluding question He interprets the parable by showing a striking contrast between the unjust judge and God. He says, hear what the unjust judge says. He wants his hearers to think about the meaning of the story. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? In other words, if a wicked, uncaring, selfish godless judge who doesn't care about God or man will himself hear the pleas of a pestering woman how much more will God who is loving, caring and benevolent hear the cries of his own children and the contrast between God and the unjust judge should encourage each of us to pray 
and to encourage us to pray and never to lose heart. Everything God is, the unjust judge is not. God is radically different from this unrighteous judge. And Jesus is showing us if the lesser, the unjust judge, hears the widow's plea, the greater God will certainly hear and answer our prayers. And the contrast between God and the unjust judge gives us three things that are found in God's character that encourage us to pray and not give up. And to understand that God does hear and answer prayers. The first is, let this encourage you. Because it has encouraged me. And it changed my thinking a lot about praying. God is just. Unlike the unjust judge, God is just. Verse 7 says, And will not God give justice? Only God could give justice. One of the great attributes of God is his righteousness, which in biblical terms is the same as justice. God is righteous and always does what is right because he himself is the standard of what is right. We can become very, very discouraged at times when justice is not executed. For example, a serial killer goes free because of some legal technicality in a court of law. That will discourage anyone. Hostile governments that persecute Christians and churches. Corruption in our own government. Or when the system seems to be working in favor of the rich and neglecting the poor and needy. But we become most discouraged when we see injustice in our own lives or in the lives of our families. And there's really nothing we can do about it. However, there is something we can do about it. We can pray. We have a righteous judge who gives his word to do what's right. In the end, God will execute justice. And in the meantime, as we struggle with injustice, we can pray like Abraham prayed when he pleaded with the Lord to withhold judgment of Sodom, even if only a few righteous people were found, Genesis 18.25. About 25 years ago, I needed a day off for my job. And I asked my supervisor for the day off. And he kept procrastinating and would not give it to me, even though... There was no one in the book to have that day off. This is about 25 years ago. And if I remember correctly, he penciled in one of his friends' name in the book to have off, even though I asked first and even though I had the seniority. See, there was injustice done to me. However, I held my peace, and I know myself, I pray. I pray about everything. When injustice comes, I begin to pray. Next thing I know... That supervisor got fired for falsifying payroll hours for a friend, and a new supervisor was appointed. I went to him and asked him for the day off, and he said, no problem. God is just, and when injustice occurs, we don't lose heart, and we continue to pray. We continue to pray that his justice will prevail. Now, it doesn't mean your prayers are always going to be answered like that. Sometimes we're not going to see the prayers answered in this life, or the justice in this life. But Jesus is encouraging us to pray and never to lose heart. The second thing that is found in God's character that should encourage us to pray and not give up is God is loving and he cares. God is loving and he cares. And will not God, verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Why does God give justice to his children? Because he's just, but also because he cares and is loving. 
God cares and loves his own. And it is his delight to hear and respond to their cries. Jesus said in Luke 12.32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's what? Good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now this parable and the parable of the persistent friend in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8, do not teach that the privilege of prayer is for everyone. If you're a Christian tonight, you're privileged. He is not obligated to answer anyone's prayer except his elect, his children. He is not obligated to answer the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Jehovah Witness, the Christian science, or anyone that does not know his son. He's not obligated to that. He will answer this prayer, the prayer of repentance of a Buddhist, the prayer of repentance of a Jehovah Witness, and so on and so forth. But he promises to respond to the prayers of his elect, the ones who know, the ones he knows by name, the ones he has chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. As parents, we deeply desire to listen to and respond to the pleasing cries of our children's heart, no matter how old they are, because we love and care for them. And if you're a parent, you understand that. And even if you're not a parent, you, wonder, you can understand that. We don't have this deep desire for children who don't belong to us. If I was walking in my neighborhood and a child came up to me and asked me for tuition for his school, I would say, I don't know you, go and ask your own father. And I would have refused to give that child anything. Once again, God is not obligated to hear and answer the prayers of unbelievers. Only the elect have the privilege, privilege and confidence of prayer. And he elected us, why? Because he loves us. God perfectly loves his children. How do we know this? He sent his perfect son to die for us. In the Apostle John's first epistle, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 9-10 God, through the death of his eternal son, has now poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. And because he loves us, he genuinely cares for us. The Apostle Peter said, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 you see, the unjust judge didn't love or care for the widow, and yet he gave her justice. Contrary, God deeply loves and cares for his own. Let his love and care for you encourage you to pray. The third thing that is found in the God's character that should encourage us to pray and not give up is, God is wise and has a timely plan. The Bible teaches us that God is not only all-knowing, the omniscient God, but he is the all-wise God. In other words, as H.B. Smith says, God produces the best possible results with the best possible means. He is the all-wise God, and especially in regard to his timing. We pray, and we pray, and we pray. <laughs> and God's justice seems long delayed. But God's timing is always, always perfect. His delay is not denial. He will act at the exact and proper time. You see, the unjust judge ignored and put off the widow's request because he did not want to be bothered. But then he granted her request because she wore him down. However, God's seemingly delay is because he acts at the perfect time. And I believe here's where the rubber meets the road concerning not losing heart when we pray. 
Are we trusting in God's wisdom to answer our prayers at the right time and the way he knows best? Reverend John Brand says it like this. It's not a case of nagging him or twisting his arm or wearing him down, as in the case of the judge, but rather trusting God to come true on his promises, to hear and answer the prayers of his children, but in his time and his way. The problem for us is this. Justice, or answered prayer, may not fit our way of thinking. God always does what is right, even though it's not what we expect. And we need to trust in His justice. Trust in the way He answers our prayers. Praying is not so much that I'm going to pray and God is going to give me what I want. But, when I pray, I'm going to rest in God's character. Yes, the answer to our prayers may seem delayed and so slow to be answered, at least to us. But we need to remember this. That with, a thousand, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. We see that in Second Peter 3.8. The Lord told Habakkuk concerning the vision he gave him. If it seems slow, wait for it. It would surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk 2.3. And Peter told his hearers in Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I don't believe Luke 18 is saying that God will give justice immediately, but when he acts, when he does, he will not delay and will act swiftly. In other words, when it happens, he will do it swiftly. When he answers prayer, he will do it swiftly. Philip Reichen, in his commentary on Luke, said, This is what Jesus means by speedy justice. There will not be any unnecessary delay, but God will answer our prayers at, exact, at, the, at exactly the time he knows they ought to be answered, in the wisest way, according to what brings him the most glory. Now, I've told you this story many times, but it bears repeating, which is similar to George Mueller, but nowhere near the great fate Mr. Mueller had, I assure you. When Christ saved me, I was eager to tell everyone about Jesus. My father, on the other hand, wasn't as eager to hear about my faith in Christ. However, I learned to pray and never lose heart. I prayed for my dad oh, approximately 30 years, and it was about two months before he died when he was in the hospital that he called me on the phone and he told me that he was afraid to die. I called my wife, Kim, and asked her to meet me at the hospital. When we went there and met with my dad and shared, again, the glorious gospel, which I had done for 30 years, however, this time it was different. My dad prayed as I led him and asked Jesus to forgive him and to come into his life. Now, I say this was different because when he got out of the hospital and was back in the nursing home, he began to tell the staff that, that was there that he was not afraid to die and began to sign the DNR, do not, do not resuscitate papers. I believe the peace of Christ was now in his heart. And when I tell this story, I believe it does bring glory to God. It was the Lord's timetable, not mine. I wanted him to be saved the first time I prayed. But God had different plans. My wife and I are still praying for our two children. And we will not give up until they turn from their wickedness and turn to Christ. And I always say that God has answered one-third of our prayers because my son is here with us tonight. Jesus ends this parable with one final question. The second half of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he comes, will he find faith? 
Of course he will, because Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. However, will he find faith in you and me as we live between the fir his first and second comings? Listen, the fruit of genuine faith is this. We're always praying and we never lose heart. Augustine said, when faith fails, prayer dies. In order to pray then, we must have faith. Dr. Kent Yu says, Jesus was saying that continual, continual prayer until he comes is not only the evidence of faith, but the means of building faith until he returns. Listen, if we have faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, if we have faith in his justice, if we have faith in his love and care, in his wisdom, we will not give up praying, and there will be no need to lose heart. No need to give up. Let me give you some practical, applicable points. Once again, this, par this parable is not about nagging God until you wear God down and get what you want. No. It's about contrast. God is not at all like this judge who is unloving, uncaring, does not respect God or man, and yet gives the widow justice. If this is true, then how much more will God give us justice? How much more will God answer our prayers? Let this encourage you to be tenacious in your prayer life. Here are some practical points. Let's talk about individual prayer first. We need to spend time alone each day with God in prayer. And here are a few things we should persist in, in our prayer time. We need to pray for God's protection against Satan's attacks. We should never give up praying and be persistent in that. When we experience injustice in the sinful world, we pray and we don't give up. When we need to repent of our sin or our struggle with remaining sin, we pray and we don't give up. When we have stress and anxiety in a fast-paced world, we pray and we don't give up. And the list goes on and on and on. Secondly, we persist in prayer with others, individually and also with others. We persist in prayer regularly with our families. We should make this a regular habit. Husbands should be praying with their wives. Wives should be praying with their husbands. Parents with their children. Children with their parents. We should persist in prayer with close Christian friends. We should have prayer partners. Or small Bible study groups. Or prayer groups. That's why we have Thursday night prayer. We want the church to pray with us. We want to pray together. For the needs of our church, of our community, of our nation. Or we persist in prayer with the corporate prayer life of our, our, of our local church. Whether individual or corporately, we need to pray regularly and never give up. Even when we are tempted to quit because we may think... Ah, listen, it really doesn't matter. It does matter. It really does matter. We also need to pray for the persecuted church abroad. Our brothers and sisters. We live in a world that is, host is hostile towards Christianity, to say the least. And it is escalating at a rapid pace. We know many are suffering greatly and some are even martyred because of Christ. I was reading that the government is watching house churches in China. There is genocidal violence against Christians in the Sudan from the Muslim militants. Christians have to meet in secret uh, for fear of losing their lives. And it will take much too long to tell of the injustices being done to our brothers and sisters, including children, in many hostile countries. When we hear of these things, when we hear of these injustices, we need to pray, as the martyrs prayed in Revelation 6.10. 
O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Some of us may be persecuted because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe it's because of some other injustice being done to us. We need to pray. We need to pray persistently. We need to pray without losing heart, knowing that we have a, a just God, a loving, caring God, a wise God who has a timely plan. The Bible is replete with persevering prayers of the people of God. The Old Testament, the saints, there were saints that prayed fervently. In the New Testament, we read of the saints uh, praying fervently. The Son of God prayed often and prayed fervently. And throughout the centuries up to our present day, men and women of God prayed persistently and did not lose hope. Let us follow the example of those who went before us. And finally, I think we must be a community of believers that prays for Christ's return. This is reflected in the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In conclusion, when Christ returns, or if we should die first, will he find us faithful? Will we be known as, Christians, as the Christian who prayed? Will we be known as that? Dr. James Dobson's father was a preacher, and when he died, they inscribed on his tombstone one thing, quote, he prayed, unquote. Let us not be a Christian or community of believers who, because of our prayerlessness, in effect are saying, the unjust judge is more righteous than God. When we don't pray, we are basically saying, God will not listen to us. He is unjust. Let me end with a quote from Dr. Kent Hughes. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Yes, he will, if we have learned to live a life of prayer in the not yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture. We thank you, God, not only this text of Scripture, but all Scripture, which is ever illuminating our hearts and minds. Help us, God, to be people of prayer. Help us, God, to be people of faith that pray and never lose heart. Help us, God, in Christ's name. Amen.